Welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and often ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK, and with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Today, I'm speaking with Ray Braithwaite, a recent HIFU patient from the Isle of Wight. Ray is 70 years old, a retired social worker, and is now enjoying a new career as a children's author. More on that later. But he's here now to talk with me about how important personalized treatment is when diagnosed with prostate cancer, having experienced something that felt more like being on a conveyor belt. Ray, thanks for joining me today. Cheers, Claire. Thanks for having me. So let's start by, you can just tell me a little bit about when you were diagnosed with prostate cancer and what happened then. It's a bit of a story, uh, Claire. Basically, it goes back to January. And in January, I wasn't feeling too well. I had two conditions. And you go to a GP, you can only be seen for one at a time. Neither of the conditions I thought were associated with prostate cancer. But the GP wanted to do an internal examination. So I found myself with his finger up my bottom. Uh. And he actually told me that there was an abnormality around my prostate. Huh. And he actually said, not to worry. I don't think it's cancer. Now, that's the first time I'd heard the word cancer in association with myself. But I'd like to refer you to the oncology department just in case. Okay. So he did. And then in February, the oncology department, they told me that um, they'd like me to have an MRI scan. I did explain that I was claustrophobic, but they said it should be okay. I went along and the MRI scan for February was good because they accepted that I had claustrophobia and they allowed me to go in feet first, which was okay. fine. And then I had some blood tests. And then for during February and March, a couple more tests. And then I finally got to see the consultant surgeon. Okay, the urological surgeon. The ur- urological surgeon, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit strange. He was a mid-European guy, really nice guy, very ardent about his job and very interested in in his work. And basically, he said he'd like me to have a biopsy and he felt that that would be the best Uh uh, at this time. And he didn't want to tell me anything about my condition at this time until he had the biopsy. So, Ray, had you had a PSA test and then what were the results of the MRI? Those magic words were never used and I wish I'd have known them. Uh, A PSA test, a Gleason score the stage of the cancer. These are magic words that I would recommend people actually use around uh-huh. the, the physicians they see. But no, he didn't. So, so, so Ray, he, he immediately advised a biopsy without you knowing those, those you know, crucial elements as you describe them. Yeah, I said yes. And then very strangely, he stood up and shook my hand and wished me good luck. And I just put it down to one of these um, mid-European things and that was the first and last time I saw him and that was for about between three and six minutes and then I had the biopsy and that was in April okay uh-huh. and that was quite painful um I didn't enjoy that experience at all no uh, a few of the nurses were very very pleasant but the actual procedure I found really invasive and unpleasant uh-huh. And then on the Friday evening of the 24th of April, and it was about four o'clock, I received a telephone call and it was from one of the oncology nurses. And she said that um, I do have a cancer. 
And now that's the first time I'd been told that I had a cancer. Yeah. And I found that really shocking. Up until then, everyone had been telling me we're just investigating to rule cancer out. Mm-hmm. But at that time, on a, quite a late evening, I was by myself, I was alone, and uh, literally I was given this information to do nothing with for the weekend, except yeah. worry. Yeah, that's uh, tough. I did ask if I could talk to her about possible treatments, and she said she'd phone me back on the Monday and we could discuss everything then. So there's a bit of a convoluted story, but that's how I got to know I had cancer. So Ray, we've spoke a little bit before, and you mentioned that you had been going through some personal challenges at the time. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about those and how they affected your experience? Yeah, I mean, my wife died in um, December, the previous December, that was the 19th. And I was grieving and completely uh, bereaved. Basically, on my own, I just kind of worry about things rather than um, take action and do things mm-hmm. um, and I mean literally it just felt as though I was isolated and alone having said that I had good support from the hospice staff and um, the hospice staff I've been having counseling there with a member of their staff and um, I was able to talk things over with them so this was the hospice where your wife had been Yes, where, where my wife died, yes. Right, right. My wife um, was diagnosed in 2016, and she, I'm glad to say, lived on for nearly four years after that. Mm. And I was looking after her and making sure that everything was all right around her. Did you feel that the healthcare team that you were engaged with for your own personal prostate cancer diagnosis was sensitive to this? No, not at all. I mean, you don't phone someone up at four o'clock on a Friday if you know their circumstances and tell them that they've got prostate cancer. Mm. Um, it's just something that I wouldn't do. And you, you've really been going through a tough time. And this was, of course, happening all during COVID as well. Yeah, that's right. COVID yeah. was taking place. And I mean, basically, the nurse on the Monday when she phoned me, she said she didn't want to give me any information at this time, but she wanted me to have some more tests and she wanted me to have another MRI scan. And I, I said, look, uh, I am claustrophobic. It won't work. But she insisted. And it, it sounded to me very much as if it was just a process, a, a tick box situation. The MRI scan was unfortunately arranged for the 6th of May, which is my dead wife's birthday. I went believing that um, it should be okay because my wife would be, would be with me. Yes. Well, of course, it wasn't okay. I, I got to the, the MRI scan and I realised my panic would set in. So I, I tried everything with them. I, I put some uh, a mask on and um, I went into the machine. They had the, the music playing, um, but then unfortunately the music stopped and then the machine itself stopped. And now I'm in a small enclosed space and it's black, and it's quiet, and it's deserted, and I panicked. So Um, the MRI scan wasn't completed? No. Um, After I panicked and kind of climbed out, and they were trying to get me out at the same time. Oh, how tough. Yeah. They asked um, if I'd like to try it again. And so I took a walk around and um, tried it again, and it didn't work. And then I took another walk around and tried it for a third time, and it didn't work. So it wasn't completed. And 
the following week, I was asked if I could um, go for a nuclear medica- medical scan, bone scan. And I was told that the machine is much bigger. So I, I went along for that. And um, it, that's about a four hour process. And literally you have to turn up in the morning and then you're given something to drink. You leave that in your system for about three or four hours and then you have the scan. Mm-hmm. Well, I told them about my claustrophobia and um, they showed me the scanner and it was a, an amazing machine. It was a, a great big aperture around it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Nothing, I can do that easily. I turned up four hours later and that new machine was being used. Um, but they said, no worries, we have an old, another one here. And the other one was a, 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 an old MRI scanner that had been converted with a camera stuck on it. And um, they wanted me to go into that head first. Absolutely no way. Uh, so then was, what was the outcome then? Did you ultimately get recommended treatment for the prostate cancer despite you know, these problems with the imaging? Well, in the imaging, we agreed that I could um, go in up to my shoulder and we'd sort something out. Effectively, yes. After all of that, I was then contacted by the nurse. Uh, again, another telephone conversation. And um, that would have been May the 25th. Okay. And basically, the hospital team had had a meeting uh, about me. Now, they, they did tell me about the meeting. And at that meeting, they were discussing my case and my prognosis and suggestions that were being made for treatment. Mm-hmm. I was told that they would tell me after the meeting about the outcome. I phoned up at about 1.30 because I was waiting around and I couldn't wait for too long. I was really quite anxious. Sure. I phoned up about 1.30 and then about um, 3.30, the nurse phoned me back. And she said, yes, there are, there are two possible options. Now, even at this stage, I didn't ask what is my PSA level. I didn't ask what is my Gleason score. I didn't ask what stage the cancer was at. Mm -hmm. And that information wasn't volunteered. It wasn't given to me. And so what did they recommend? They recommended a radical prostatectomy, um, that's surgery where either all or or a part of the prostate would be removed. Mm -hmm. In my case, it would be all of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, They recommended radiation therapy, which would have been um, five weeks going in on um, a daily occasion throughout the week with time off at the weekends. That would then be followed by hormone treatment. Yes, yes. Mm. And um, basically, I was asking about any other alternatives. Okay. Uh, the nurse said, well, she'll, she'll put these um, sheets of paper in the, in the post to me and they will have all the information that's available. Mm-hmm. So I then said, but what about HIFU? And how did you know about high food at that point? Because I'd done my research at that stage. Indeed. Right? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well. So then what happened when you suggested high food to, to the nurse? Unfortunately, this is the way I heard it. What she said to me was, we didn't recommend that because we think one of the cancers is too big for that. Now, I was gobsmacked, basically, mm. because I didn't realize I had more than one cancer. This is the first time I'm, I'm hearing I've got two or more cancers. And I did say to her, is that a a medical diagnosis? 
and, and she said, oh, no, it's just my opinion. So I said, well, if it's all right with you, I'll make a direct referral for HIFU. And that's ex exactly what I did that evening. Okay, so you found, and that's where you went to Tim Dutteridge? Yeah. Okay, and because you knew about HIFU, and, and then you went to see him, and you ultimately had the procedure with him. Um, how did that go? First thing was that we had a, a Zoom consultation. Okay. And that took place, I think that was early June. And, th and that was absolutely fantastic. The consultation I had with Tim mm -hmm. was the consultation I had expected to have with the neurology surgeon at the hospital. Yes. And, and what was different with, with the consultation with Tim this time? He listened. He had time. And we spent about 20 or 30 minutes. And Tim went through all of the potential alternatives, including the surgery and the radiotherapy mm -hmm. and um, the HIFU. And he was also able to uh, tell me about Gleason and PSA and um, the stuff that I should have been told about months earlier, I think. Mm -hmm. Because that was all on your referral notes and your records. Um, so when did you actually have the procedure? That was on the 6th of July, and that was at the Spire. Mm -hmm. and, um, basically, it was relatively simple. It was I was going to be a day patient, in and out, but unfortunately, the anesthetics actually had an effect and they caused me to um, be very groggy. And so the good thing was that the spire kept me in overnight. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, that's good. Took about a week or so for the um, anesthetics to wear off. Oh, wow. Okay. But they did eventually. <laughs> and, and the procedure went well. Yeah. So, Ray, I mean, that's quite a story. Um, now, you actually published a story in a local newspaper about this experience. Um, and I also believe you wrote about this to both your MP and to the, to the PM as well. Can you tell us about these and what you'd like to say to both policymakers and, and other men with prostate cancer? I'd like to say to the MP and, uh, and to my own local MP, please uh -huh. answer. But it didn't happen. And what I said in the um, email and in the story was, I think that HIFU should be one of the primary treatments that's offered. And it shouldn't be left as a trial arrangement. It should be first offered first, and it, it should be available to men without funds. In my case, I had the money. I could afford to pay for it. There are lots of men who won't have that money, and they can't afford to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so the treatment, I believe, should be made free, made available on the NHS, and it should be one of the primary treatments that is offered to all men. Did you get a response from either the MP or the PM? No, no, not at all. <laughs> but the, the local um, newspaper did, did publish it because that's, I, I remember reading it. And um, yeah. I'll, I'll certainly make sure our listeners can, can access that. Um, did anybody write in or did anybody contact you as a result of that? Yeah, a couple of men um, wrote in and a couple of men contacted me and said how valuable it was. And uh, I was talking to one of the local farmers and he'll make sure that his father asks for the treatment if it becomes necessary. So there's a little bit of a spin. So you've had a, you've had an impact. And speaking of which, and picking up from the, the the writing in the local paper, I'm aware that you've recently published a children's story called mm -hmm. "A Rather Strange Christmas Day." Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, on his way to 
um, return to home after delivering the presents. Father Christmas falls out of his sleigh and basically he lands up with the family and the family's task is to reunite him with his reindeer and his sleigh before the end of Christmas Day. And if that doesn't happen, Christmas will be lost forever. <laughs> That's the actual story. That um, sounds wonderful. I won't tell you whether it's a good ending or a bad ending. I think I can guess. Um, how, how would our listeners be able to find that? Is there, is there a way to purchase it so they can share it with uh, any of their grandchildren, for example? Thank you. It's available on Amazon. It's a paperback. If you buy two copies, you get free um, postage. <laughs> I will put that on our, our website so our listeners can, um, in the build up to Christmas, um, decide that they might want to, uh, to purchase that. That sounds wonderful. Congratulations on getting it published. Thank you. Cheers, Claire. So, Ray, thanks so much for speaking with me. It's been a real pleasure, and um, I'm really glad that you've had a good experience, and, um, and I hope you have a really nice holiday season. Thank you. And to the men, don't forget the magic words. What's my PSA? Where am I on the Gleason scale? And what level um, of cancer do I have? Indeed. We'll make sure that that, um, that gets out there. And just, again, very glad that you've had a good experience in the end with Tim. A transcript of this interview is available on our website. If you're interested in learning more about HIFU and how we approach it at the Focal Therapy Clinic, visit our website at www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk where you can access additional interviews with both patients and clinicians about their experiences with prostate cancer. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.